So what is Shabbat Shuvah, the Sabbath of repentance and return? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, right now we are in the holiest season on the Jewish calendar. And on the biblical calendar, we are right about to come into Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That begins Sunday night and then through Monday, so evening to evening, Sunday to Monday, a time when even non-religious Jews will be in the temple, be in the synagogue, many will fast. And of course, religious Jews for days leading up to this time, searching their hearts, seeking God, seeking to have their good deeds outweigh their bad, pleading for mercy individually and corporately. It's a great time to be praying for our Jewish people. It's a great time to be praying for God to open hearts, open minds. We'll talk about that more as we go on. Michael Brown, welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I'm looking down at the phone lines now, and I want to do my best today to give extra time to your calls. We've had a lot of stuff going on in recent days and weeks and haven't had quite as much time as normal for phone calls. So I want to do that today and, of course, all day tomorrow on the broadcast. So any Jewish-related questions, as long as it fits in that category, we're welcome. We're happy to take your calls today. You're welcome to call in 866-348-7884. Before I, I talk about Shabbat Shuvah this, this coming Sabbath, so Saturday, uh, not just what's happening in the Christian world, but in particular what this means on the biblical calendar. Look at some of the key passages involved in that. Before I do that, I just want to mention this very, very briefly. I'm introduced every day on the air as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution, and I seek to be your voice. I seek to speak for you. I seek to speak for the Lord and honor Him, but often I can articulate with the platform we have, with the millions that we can reach, I can articulate and, and, and get out a message that's important to you as well. But not only do I seek to serve as your voice in that way, but in the midst of the shaking and craziness of the world around us, all the ups and downs and upheaval, we do our best to, to come as your servants, honoring the Lord and present truth and, and sort through controversies and, and try to come with a level head when people are, are upset uh, on every side. So yesterday, of course, another momentous day with the grand jury verdict being announced in the, in the death of, of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, as expected, riots, protests following and, and things like that. How do we sort this out? What actually happened? What's myth, what's fact? Who's guilty? Is anyone guilty? Where is reform needed? What should our response be? So I wrote an article on it. I really wrestled with it carefully. I thought about it. I talked with a black colleague late uh, last night, just interacting further. We happened to call. We got to talk about some of the details here. Please read it and share it with others. You can find it at sdrbrown.org. You can find it at stream.org and other websites. Please read it. Think about it. Don't respond without reading it. And in other words, don't just post a comment. Read, try to understand from different perspectives. 
my only goal is truth. When I stand for truth, means I'm going to get hit from either side. You know, I, uh, when I talk about political issues where you're not strong enough for Trump, why do you always criticize Trump? How come you just follow Trump? It's like, whatever you do, you're going to get slammed either way. That's okay, because my, uh, my goal is to please the Lord, honor him, and speak the truth. But we're committed to doing that. So please use this resource. I think you'll find it really helpful. Okay, God willing, this Saturday, I will be in D.C. for one of two major events that is taking place. Franklin Graham has a prayer march that will be taking place in D.C. I will be participating in the return, which begins Friday night and runs through Saturday night. I'm scheduled to speak early Saturday night, so a little after 6 p.m. Eastern time for those who will be watching. And the thrust will ultimately be on Israel in terms of that time of the day and when I'm speaking. But it's going to be especially important to me especially significant because 20 years ago, this very month, September 2nd of 2000, so 20 years ago to the month, I stood in D.C. There were about 300,000 young people present from around America. We brought the longest, largest single group, 17 buses, 780 people roughly, came up from Pensacola, Florida to be part of the event. The call, D.C., 12 hours of prayer and fasting and crying out to God for the nation. And I was given 30 minutes to bring a keynote message, one of several over the course of the day, but it was a very sacred entrustment. And and we cried out and said, now is the time for a Jesus revolution, for complete dedication of our lives to the gospel. And we warned about the the cultural crisis we were in back then. And we were so moved and stirred, God provided supernatural. We gave away 70,000 copies of the revolution book, which had just come out literally the day before, was, was shipped there on two 18-wheelers, if you can imagine this, and as f- far as you could see, stacks of books, 100,000 books is a lot of books, Mark Revolution, Revolution, Revolution. Seeds were planted, much happened at that time, and, and many touched have gone around the world and made an impact for the Lord, and yet there's so much more we long to see happen, and we knew we were at this crisis moment in America, and now 20 years later, everything is intensified, accelerated. We literally are hanging in the balance, just like Tishrei, the, the month we're in now, the, this Jewish month, which is the seventh month on the biblical calendar, but the first month in the traditional Jewish calendar. So, so here, here we are in this, in this month, and it's a time when in Jewish tradition we are weighed in the balance and stand before God. I, I want to take you back 20 years. This was a scene from the call DC, Lou Engel's son, then a young man, what, 12, 13 years old, Jesse Engel, he was praying and let the long hairs arise, meaning the Nazarites, those that have dedicated themselves completely to the Lord. He's praying, then I come up after that and and call everyone to cry out to the Lord. I just wanna take you back 20 years to Washington DC, 20 years ago this very month. Burn for you, Lord. We would be so on fire for you. We would have no side issues, Lord. 
Hollywood know, let the churches know, let the world know, we are here to start a Jesus revolution. Right now, if you are absolutely serious about enlisting in the army, if you are absolutely serious about giving your life for a Jesus revolution, if you're absolutely serious about putting your life on the line, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, if you say, God, I'm serious, use me. I want you to stand to your feet right now. If that's you, stand up. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. If you mean it, begin to lift your voices. Cry out. Cry out. It was a, a sacred moment, obviously. Many were deeply touched at that time and, and made that fresh dedication to the Lord. Others cried out to God and are crying out to this day because there's more that we want to see happen. There was a young man there from the Philippines, Jerome Ocampo. He got one of the copies of the Revolution book. And by the way, the, the new edition of the book comes out October 6th. Yeah, and I was quite stirred writing this 20 years later. It's, it's difficult to even convey how it felt going back, reading things, revising things, updating things, punctuating things. Yes, amen, we said it then, and how much more is it true now? Jerome Campo got that book, went back to the Philippines with it. God started his, stirred his heart, and he started the, the J-Rev, Jesus Revolution movement when I was with him a few years ago in the Philippines, he's more like a statesman now, you know, these, these many years later uh, with a church and a, and a movement that's international. And he told me people that have been saved through the ministry there and touched and discipled and mentored are now in places of government, high places of business, and making impact for the Lord. Now, 20 years later, we come back to D.C. Of course, much has happened in the interim and many other events there. But for me, it's, it's a 20-year-later significant moment and it seems like I didn't snap my fingers and go back a second as 20 years ago and and this time it, it is during this Sabbath Shabbat Shavuot when Jonathan Kahn one of the organizers of the return when he was on the air with me he said that they, they picked this particular date and, and positioned it between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur so it's the Sabbath between the, the blasting of the shofar and and the day of atonement without realizing what that meant. It's Shabbat Shuvah, the event called the return, and this Shuvah is, is repentance return. It's, it's a turning back to God. The root Shuv is, is, is a turnaround. It's, it's not just, you know, we get from the Greek metanoia, metanoeho, the Greek words associated with repentance that we most commonly use, the idea that it can just be a change of mind, but that's not even what the Greek means in the New Testament in most of its usage. It's, it's talking about a change of heart and mind and direction. It's, it's an about face. It's I was going in the wrong way and now turn back to going the right way. Do you understand the concept? That's why God says, Shuvah Elava, Shuvah Alechem, or Shuvah Daiva, Shuvah Dechem. Turn back to me and I will turn back to you. You turn away, children of Israel, you turn away from your sin, from your disobedience, from your rebellion. Turn away from that and turn back to me in obedience and repentance. And I will turn away from my anger and turn back to you. As, as it's often been put, man repents and God relents. And that's going to be the focus 
this weekend in D.C. But it's a great time to be praying for your Jewish friends around the world. Lord, may the intense conviction of sin, the reality of sin, be deeper in the hearts of our people than it's ever been, out of which there will be a deeper repentance and out of which there'll be a recognition of atonement that has been made, the sacrificed lamb that pays for our sins, the one that carries our sins away. May Jewish eyes be open to the one and only Savior and Messiah. We're going to come back to your calls on the other side of the break, and then we're going to get into some of the scripture that is going to be recited in the synagogue this Sabbath. Stay right here. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on the Line of Fire on Thirdly Jewish Thursday. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. So as promised, we're going straight to the phones and we start in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Joseph, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi there, Michael Brown. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. Wonderful. So I do have a question. It's in Ezra chapter 2, verse 2. Okay. And also it's in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 7. All right. And it mentions there's an Israelite by the name of Mordecai Mm -hmm. returning with a group of other Jews to Jerusalem. Now, my question today is, is this the same Mordecai that's mentioned in the book of Esther? Uh, That would be highly unlikely. It would be highly unlikely uh, chronologically uh, in terms of of, uh, when this is happening and when he would have been uh, there in the Persian Empire. Um, And it would be odd that there's no recognition of which Mordecai that that was. It's, It's not impossible. Uh, you know, you'd, ha- you'd have to, again, figure out exactly chronologically how it would work, and sometimes it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly when certain things happen, say with a book like Esther. Um, but, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no indication that it's the same person. What's interesting is, is the name Mordecai actually relates to the pagan god Marduk. So it's... it's um, it, it would have been something that would be given, you know, picked up in captivity or something like that, you know, not a typical Israelite name. But an interesting question. There's probably rabbinic tradition on it. In fact, uh, during the next break, I'm going to see what rabbinic tradition has to say about it because sometimes they'll, they'll find a, a name and make it into somebody, even if it's not, you know, just kind of in a homiletical way. But my, my assumption is it's not the same person. It's not impossible. I would just say it's unlikely. Yep. So we'll, if there's, you know, we'll, we'll dig more. I somehow, here's what's funny, Joseph, you know, I've been reading the Bible for, for a lifetime and, uh, you read certain things and just not pay as close attention. And I never, I never looked into this with any depth. I never looked into it. So thanks for, uh, forcing me just to see what other traditions exist about it. Appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Robert in Mountain Home, Texas. I don't recall in 12 years 
getting a call from Mountain Home, Texas. The name would have stuck with me. But anyway, welcome to the broadcast, man. Well, thank you. This is actually my third. But uh, I, and, you, and you've called uh, always with Mountain Home as the name, right? Yes, one time yeah. I did Kerrville. Cause ah, all right, all right. So it's okay. But anyway, I should have remembered that better. It's a nice-sounding name, actually. Uh, I started searching the Scripture for cleaning up uh, our family's diet, you know, 35 years ago maybe, and, you know, was doing a, a really decent job and just discovered like two or three weeks ago the list of the seven fruits of Israel. Uh, and the list is wheat, barley, olives, grapes, dates, figs, and pomegranates. And uh, I'm thankful that I had implemented most of those except barley bread. But anyway, is that a legitimate list that the only fruits, first fruits, had to be from that list of seven? Yes. Yeah, so there, there is what's known as the, the seven species. You can even look as, as I'm just, uh, you know, typing um, uh various various accounts of this so so for example if you go to deuteronomy the eighth chapter to see what's readily available uh it mentions land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive oil and honey so it, it lists seven items there uh, and you just different websites uh, seven fruits of Israel associated with Israel: olives, pomegranates, figs, dates, grapes, barley, wheat. There's something called the the seven species. Uh, that's also the same thing. So again, based on Deuteronomy eight eight. So it's not the comprehensive list, obviously, but it's just drawn from Deuteronomy eight eight and becomes proverbial as seven species or seven fruits of Israel. Okay. Well. Uh... It's my understanding that the, the, the first fruits went to the Levites, uh, that that was their supply. Is, am I not correct on that? Well, well yes and no. In, in other words, you didn't, uh, Levites, not every Israelite lived side by side with, with Levites, right? Um, where, wherever that happened, yes, there were first fruits, and, and this was general, you know, uh, uh, the tithe, that would be brought periodically to Jerusalem. Uh, you, you convert stuff into money and then uh, go to Jerusalem with it. And then there would be a first fruits that would given that, be given there for the uh, maintenance of, of the temple, the tabernacle before that, and, and for, the, for the, the priests and the Levites. And then uh, with each harvest, yes, there were first fruits offering. The, the point is not everyone had the ability to immediately take the first fruits of what they had and make it available to, to local Levites. That's, that's my only point. But yes, that was part of the sustenance of the Levites, the first fruits of the, the produce, the first fruits of the, the, the prophet of the children of Israel supported the system of priests and Levites in Israel. Just like in our local church, uh, you support your pastor and pastoral staff with, with tithes. Uh, it would be a similar principle, but it just wasn't like that transaction the same as, okay, I put the the offering in the bucket. Now that goes for, you know, it wasn't always that simple to do. Hey, Robert, thank you for the call. It turns out one of our team members here has been to Mountain Home, Texas. Appreciate the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Joe in Kent Island, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes. Hey. Hello. Thank, yeah, thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. You're welcome. 
Yep, I have a, just a simple question. Um, could the could the Jewish Messiah be considered one and the same as the Christian Antichrist? Meaning the one that Jewish people in the future will embrace as the Messiah. Could that be the exactly. one? Yeah. Yeah, there's absolutely a possibility for that. In, in other words, a leader of such caliber that the Jewish people will embrace him as the Messiah and a leader of such caliber that he will deceive the entire world and that the entire okay. world will believe that he's the one. I mean, you could, you could certainly make a case for it because it, if you say that he'll just be like a, a European leader and he'll be the Antichrist, then obviously he wouldn't be the one that Jews would, would be deceived into following as the Messiah unless he was also a religious Jewish leader, right? So we may, the, the Antichrist, it could be a, a political leader, a political world leader that rises into prominence in, in the, the midst of chaos and crisis and rises to bring all the nations together and everyone follows that one as, as the Antichrist and that is separate from what Jewish people are praying for as the Messiah, or it could be one of the same. It could be one of the same. It's, it's certainly a possibility. Okay. Yeah. Okay, very, very good. I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to bring up the next, um, just like a follow-up to that. If go ahead. I don't, want to, I don't want to rise your time. No, go yeah. ahead. But I could probably speak for the next couple hours on this. But no, no, no. If you, no, just ask quick because we got a break coming up. Go ahead. Okay. So if you're already aware of this, just let me know. But there, there's a reason I asked that question. Okay, so there's an image off of a NASA photo. Are you familiar with that? Off of the International Space Station of the Giza Plateau? No. Mm -mm. Okay, so what, it, so what it is, it's the International Space Station took a picture of the Giza Plateau. You zoom into that picture, and you begin to see Hebrew writing near the Great Pyramid. Okay. And it's a combination of markings on the ground and shadows. And I sent, actually, I sent a picture to your email address, which I'm sure you're inundated, um, of this, but it's a paleo, uh, I'm pronouncing that right, paleo-Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand from different scholars that have interpreted it, it's supposed to say, I'm on my computer, um, I am who I am, creator of all things, God and Lord of the underworld. So that was my question. That was the yeah, the Joe. Of my question. Okay, got it. Yeah, um, I I have never heard of any verified inscription of that kind in Paleo Hebrew, so the ancient Hebrew script. They're um, at that location saying any such thing. As far as I know, that's an internet myth. Now that being said. Uh, We'll, we'll, uh, we'll always look at where it's coming from. Where did people get that idea? Uh, the, uh, there's been recent discussion about ancient inscriptions that were found at Sinai and, and one prominent Semitic scholar arguing that that's actually an early form of Hebrew, but even the deciphering of that, no one's agreed on to this day. So that could not be it because, again, the deciphering and the meaning of those texts no one's even agreed on but those have been we've been aware of those for for many 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 years but otherwise uh i <clears throat> sounds to me like an internet myth that hey kai chris see if you dig anything up on that during the break all right i appreciate the call 
3 for truth When we come back, uh, we're going to get into the key texts that are going to be read in the synagogue this Shabbat, this Saturday, and then back to your phone calls here on Thirdly Jewish Thursday. If you appreciate our work and want to help us reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel and educate the church on these key issues, if you're watching on Facebook, click on the donate button. Any gift of any size is warmly welcomed and appreciated. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a dollar sign underneath the chat window. Click on that. You can give or you can go to our website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. Click on donate. You can designate your gift for Jewish ministries. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So back to a question that was asked earlier about Ezra 2.2 and then parallel in Nehemiah that mentions a Mordecai coming back from exile with Zerubbabel. So coming back to Jerusalem from Babylonian slash Persian exile. So said I check on rabbinic tradition because I just never paid attention to that before. So there are some opinions, uh, rabbinic uh, traditions, that say it's it's one of the same Mordecai, but then it says the next name Bilshan w- was actually the the same person. So it's uh, and, and the name so so it's Mordecai Bilshan speaking of the same person. Uh, allegedly because of his knowledge of many languages, Bill Sean relating to the root uh, Lashon, which is tongue or language. Uh, according to another opinion, Mordecai is identical with the prophet Malachi, the latter name having been given to him after he became viceroy. But all the rabbis agree that Mordecai was a prophet and he prophesied in the second year of Darius. So in any case, just different rabbinic uh, positions and traditions about it. 866-34-TRUTH. We're going to go back to the phone shortly, but every week in the synagogue, a portion from the Torah is read, and it is divided up so it's read over the course of the year. So it just happened that I was listening to the, the Bible on audio driving up, and the passage that I listened to, Ha'azinu, which is, uh, listen, give ear, starting Deuteronomy 32.1, that's the passage in the Pentateuch that's read in the synagogue, because we're coming to the end of, of the year and the beginning of the new cycle. So this is, this is what is read. Then Yom Kippur begins Sunday night through Monday. Jews around the world fasting, praying, asking God for forgiveness and mercy. And then five days later, Sukkot, Tabernacles, time of celebration and joy. So <clears throat> uh, along with the Torah portion that's chanted in the synagogue each week, there's what's called the Haftarah, some call it Haftarah, the Haftarah, which is supplemental portions where you read other passages from the Bible that, that tie in in some way with the theme. So there are three key passages that will be read, and you'll see the common theme on all of them. So the first is Hosea chapter 14. So let's just take a look. Hosea 14, you will see there's a, a slight difference in the versification off by, uh, by one from English to Hebrew. 
Uh, Samaria must bear her guilt, for she's defied her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed to death. Their women with child ripped open. So terrible judgment on Israel. But then what comes next? Shuva Yisrael ad Adonai Elohecha. So here's Shabbat Shuvah, the, the Sabbath of repentance, of turning back. Shuvah Yisrael, turn back, Israel. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have fallen because of your sin. And take words with you, return to the Lord, and say to him, forgive all guilt and accept what is good. Traditional translations, instead of bulls, we will pay the offering of our lips. But the text is really saying something different than that. It's not saying that we're replacing animal sacrifices with our lips, but rather our words of repentance. This is our paying of our vows. And it goes on from there, but that's, that's the, the key to it. Assyria will not save us. No more will we ride on steeds, nor ever again will we call our handiwork our God, since in you alone orphans find pity. And then God speaks, er-pam I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. So you have, in, in these few verses here in, in, in Hosea 14, you have the shuv root, turn back, shuvah, turn back, Israel. Then God says, I will heal your meshuvotam, I will heal your backslidings. And then God says, I will turn, shav, I will turn from my anger. This is all connected. Joel, the second chapter, is another passage that's read. Joel chapter 2. Let, let's look at what's there because this too is an urgent call. And, and here in the midst of this, in, in the call for, for prayer, for fasting, for crying out for mercy, what does it say? Mi yodea yeshuv v'nicham v'hish'ir who knows, as we're crying out and repenting and asking for mercy, who knows, but he may turn and relent. There we have turn again. He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind for meal offering and drink offering to the Lord your God. And, and this is the great urgent prophetic message. The great urgent prophetic message is, is turn back. Turn back and God will turn back. You repent, God will relent. Turn away from your sin and turn to God in repentance. God will turn away from his anger and turn back in mercy. And as I read these words, I think of our people, Israel, but then I think of of America right now, hanging in the balance, hanging as it were by a thread, needing merciful divine intervention. And then that brings us to Micah, the seventh chapter. Uh, and it, it's just extraordinary the way this ends. And let's, uh, let's scroll down to verse 18, Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Miel Kamocha, who is a God like you? The very name Micah is Micha, probably short for Michaya or Michael, like my name Michael. Who is like Yahweh? Or who is like God? Miel Kamocha, who is a God like you? Who, who, forgives iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his, of, of, of his inheritance, remnant of his people. He doesn't hold on to his anger forever because he delights in showing mercy. He delights in covenant kindness. Once again, he will turn back. He will have mercy. He will subdue. He will conquer 
our iniquities v'tashlich bim tzulot yam kol chatotam and and you will cast, O oh Lord, you will cast into the depths of the sea all of their sins. Titanamet leYaakov, he will grant truth or keep faith to Jacob. Chesed laAvraham, loving kindness, covenant kindness to Abraham. Asher nishpata laAvotenu mimekedem, which you have sworn to our fathers from ancient days. Wow, a promise of the goodness and mercy of God. Hey, can I just speak to each of you individually? If you've sinned, if you've grieved the heart of God, if you live under that burden, if you think he could never forgive me, I've gone too far. He delights in showing mercy. Lo po. He does not hold on to his anger forever. Ki chesed hu, because he delights in showing mercy in covenant kindness. If you'll turn to him in repentance and ask him to cleanse you and wash you and put your faith in what Messiah has done in your place, God will give you a new heart. He'll restore you so that you can live for him. If there's breath, there's hope, friends. All right, to the phones. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start in Raleigh, North Carolina with Howard. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Dr. Brown, thank you so much. And uh, incredible Torah portion and such a blessing your ministry is. Uh, my, my question is on Malachi 3.16. And so okay. I have a, my family, half of it is, uh, is, is Christian, half is Jewish, uh, parents, uh, born and came here from Germany after World War II, and so mm. I have a lot of uncles and aunts, you know, still Jewish. Um, they're uh, distant cousins now in the land, Orthodox, and I've constantly struggled with the idea of of those who were seeking, um, you know, the Lord before the Messiah, um, and and supposedly being remembered in the in, in the Book of Remembrance. Uh, being lost, and I, I go through Malachi, you know, uh, three sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen, and say, is there, is there a, is that pointing us to a forgiveness and and a you know quote unquote way of uh, Jewish people seeking uh, to be saved? Right. So, for those that didn't exactly follow your question, just because of lack of background. How can it be that an Orthodox Jew praying daily, crying out to God for mercy, praying prayers from Scripture, reading the Scripture, wanting to honor God, being willing to die rather than deny the Lord, that someone like that seeking to to walk in obedience to the commands that God gave Moses, whose only real knowledge of Jesus comes through like the Holocaust or Crusades or Inquisitions and things like that, how could that person be lost? Or we just say, well, you just go to hell because you didn't say the prayer. And then you got some other person living a compromised double life. Well, they prayed the prayer they're in. You know, something doesn't seem right with that. Uh, let, me, let me say first that it's a question we should wrestle with if we have a heart. In other words, these things mm-hmm. should concern us. These things should burden us. In my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, I have a chapter called So Near and Yet So Far, where I get into this very issue. I look at the prayers that are prayed. And look, there is a... There's a colleague of mine, an ultra-Orthodox rabbi who's a counter-missionary. We've been going back and forth uh, with each other for many, many years now, uh, sometimes multiple emails in a week, but have been in dialogue for years and years and years. And, and we agreed many years ago to pray a prayer. So if, if I'm praying for, for him and for myself, I pray for him and I pray for me, 
that, that God would give us the courage to follow him and his truth wherever it leads, regardless of cost or consequence, whether by life or by death. He said, I like that. I'll pray that. So you've got someone that's praying that mm-hmm. prayer to God. I'm praying that prayer to God. And yet at the same time, I'm 100% sure that there's no forgiveness outside of Messiah's blood. I'm 100% sure that if there was any other way for us to get to God or be righteous, he wouldn't have died. As Paul wrote, if if righteousness comes by the law, then then he dies in vain and we frustrate the grace of God. And not only so, remember that Yeshua came to his own people first. That's where he started. And and he started with religious people and with secular people. And then after he died and rose from the dead, that's the, the, the ones to whom the message was preached, the Jewish people. And then Paul, for years, when he go into a new city, would start there. So I know we've had church history, 2,000 years have intervened, and much of the church mm-hmm. has put forth a very negative witness. And, and again, those with memory of the Holocaust think of it as a Christian event. I, I asked my friend, the, the rabbi, lives in a very religious community uh, outside of New York, and I said to him, uh, in your neighborhood, do the people there associate the Holocaust with Christianity? He said, yeah, of course. So uh, how has that overcome? Here's what I've done, Howard. I leave them to God, trusting that God will do what is right, that his sense of justice and compassion is far greater than mine. I pray for God to open their eyes. I pray for them as if they're lost without him. I seek to reach them as if they're lost without him. I assume that looking at the history of Israel, that we we all fall short and need mercy, and yet I leave the verdict and the results to God. God knows every heart. So my assumption is they're lost, my my heart breaks for them, pray for them, reach out accordingly, and then leave it to God knowing that the God of all the earth, the righteous judge, will do what's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to Thirdly Jewish Thursday. Hey, let me just say this one thing quickly. When it comes to issues of heaven and hell, when it comes to issues of final judgment, these are not things we talk about lightly. If you can talk about them in a trivial way, you shouldn't talk about them at all. You know what I'm saying? These are weighty issues. I appreciate the weight of, of the call that we just received and, and the way my brother is, is feeling the weight of that. Uh, you know, look, it's it's very easy for us to damn this one and damn that one. And, you know, yeah, if you, if you don't repent, you're all just going to hell. And, and, and okay, if you believe that, fine. Uh, Scripture is clear enough. You know, Jesus said, if you don't repent, you'll all perish. But you say that with a broken heart. You say that with tears. You get in your face and agonize before God over that. That's, to me, the real, real issue. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Jonathan in Minneapolis. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. You're um, welcome. Uh, yeah, I've, um, well, a little bit, I'd like to give you a little bit about my background and my question. So without your ministry, I don't think I would have made it. So mm. um, I, when I got saved, I'm Jewish, obviously, um, my sister became ultra-religious Jewish the same week I, I got saved at a, at a different 
a different state. Really? So, uh, yeah, and I ended up moving back in with that family for an extended period of time. So I used your, I don't, I, the debates helped me through that process. And uh, anyway, uh, I went through a really difficult stretch, and I am going through a, this is, you know, part of reflection. Uh, uh, anyway, my later my sister got married in Israel to, uh, I'm taking you, you're familiar with Aisha Tarah. Of course, yes. Yes. So um, I was there for the for the wedding. I uh, met my brother-in-law, uh, and he. Uh, well, I I waited to after the wedding to share them, share with them what I believe, and I thought I'd never see him again. They live in Israel. Well, they ended up moving in with me about seven years ago. Seriously. And I was living with my parents. Yeah, I was living with my parents who were Reformed Jewish. <laughs> All right. So just so everyone understands this, so Aisha Torah, that's that's Orthodox Jewish organization, but. They, they often reach out to Jewish people that are recovering their faith or, or help teach the foundations and things like that. Reformed Jews are very liberal and, and not, not keeping the commandments or anything like that, right? So you've got liberal Jews who really don't look at the Bible as God's word. You've got religious Jews who are absolutely devoted to the Torah, but look at Jesus as false prophet or false messiah or just someone to be rejected. And, and we've got you as a Jewish follower of Yeshua, and you're all in the same family here. Yeah, in the same house. Same house, yes, sir. So, uh, God put me through that. Um, well, also, on top of that, God put me through uh, like a thorn in the flesh type situation where I got a, a it, was, it wasn't demon possession, it was demon oppression, where the voice would not stop. It, it took four years, every day for four years on top of that. So, I, and I, 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 my, my pastor, as, as well as my, I have a Messianic rabbi as well, they're not Christian counselors, and they said, initially they said it was demonic. So my, so my question to you is this, um, and I, I you know, did some research on, on it online, I don't know what, what's what, what. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know better than I do, but um, my question to you is this, um, is in the New Testament, you know, I know it says in, in, in uh in Exodus 20, the sins go from the, 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 to generation to generation to generation. Now, is there, is there something in the, in the New Testament that is in alignment to that? Because I, that's I got in the spirit when I did my uh, when I did my just, just my reflection time. I just want to know if this, you know, is there, is there any biblical in the yeah, New John- Covenant that, that, that says it? Yeah, Jonathan, let me answer that on on two levels. Generally speaking, for human beings. This is the way things work, that the sins and bad habits of, of the mother and father, say, get visited down on the next generation. And if they walk in them, then it just gets deeper. It becomes more entrenched. It becomes more a way of life. You know, children of alcoholics have a much higher percentage of becoming alcoholics. Those things can happen. If you have a, a history of uh, you're raised a certain way, that's all you've seen and known. You walk in that, it becomes more deeply entrenched. These things can can happen in that natural process, and in that sense, uh, what God spoke to Israel can continue to happen just with humanity in general. But in Jesus, in Yeshua, there is a breaking of the past. The, the cross cancels out the sins of previous generations that, that could be uh, visited down in terms of lifestyle and behavior if we will appropriate it. So, yes, it could well be that there are things from the past that have been passed down and, and that you're being attacked by. 
And the thing to do then is to, to get with your spiritual leaders and to say, let's renounce this together in Yeshua's name. Let's say this has no hold over me. Anything in my life that's following in those habits, we break in Jesus' name and walk ahead in freedom. And, and I wouldn't necessarily call this a thorn in the flesh. That was something that God allowed in order to keep Paul humble. But certainly all of us can be attacked by the enemy. First Peter 5, the enemy goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Ephesians 6, that, that our battle is with spiritual beings in heavenly places. So there is a battle, but we overcome in the Messiah. So yes, something could have been passed down, but it has no power of you in Messiah, so let it be broken. Pray together and let that be broken, and may your whole family come to faith. I appreciate it, Jonathan. Hey, friends, uh, pray, would you? Would you, would you pray for Jonathan? Lord, for victory and breakthrough and freedom for the salvation of his family. Some of you, may the Lord lay him on your heart. And what Jonathan said, he doesn't think he would have made it without me. When I came to faith, friends, and met with rabbis and Orthodox Jews and scholars, and I was overwhelmed with what they were asking. You know, I, I, knew, the, I knew the Bible well in English, but I didn't know Hebrew. I couldn't answer them. It was very intense to have to go through the questions, and, and, and I didn't have resources. There was nothing available that answered all the questions. That's why God had me write five volumes on answering Jewish objections to Jesus and put out a 22-hour teaching series, Countering the Counter Missionaries, and many, many, many other materials. But what I heard from Jonathan, I've heard from many. I've met many Messianic Jews who said, I'm in the faith because of you. Now, that's all to the glory of the Lord. He's the one that gets the credit and the honor, all right? But we are in the front lines, so please pray for us. Many, many Jewish people are in the Lord and have either come back to the Lord, come to faith, or stayed in the Lord because our resources were there to help them. That's why we produce them. So if you're praying, if you give to us, you're part of that. What Jonathan just shared, you're part of that. All right, let's see if we can get to another call or two. Uh, We go to Hickory, North Carolina. Sean, thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, thanks for having me, Dr. Brown. I really appreciate your show. Thank you. Um, my question is about Lucifer, uh, actually the Hebrew underlying Lucifer. Yeah. Uh, Jerome is the one to come up with Lucifer, from what I gather. Yep. And But in his commentary, he describes what the word meant was to well or how. And in the Englishman's concordance, you, you look at this verse in Isaiah— Yep. And it says only one occurrence. But the other two references are Zechariah 11, 2 and Ezekiel 12, 20, 12, 21, 12. Sorry about that. Right, right. Where, where both of them are translated as how or well. Right. So what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, great articulate question in terms of, of understanding the issues there. So uh, the Hebrew Hillel ben Shachar is, is literally shining one, son of the dawn which Jerome just does translate in the Vulgate as Lucifer, Lucifer, which means light bearer. And then because that was interpreted as speaking of Satan and the fall of Satan, that, that uh, this then became the name by which Satan was known, Lucifer, but originally simply light bearer. So the, the, the word Hillel, there is a related root that means to howl. And, and you have it, you know, in, in the book of Joel, you know, when 
people are howling out or things like that or a woman labor howling out, uh, that route can be used. But this is a related but different route. Uh, you, have, uh, you have this all over uh, in the Hebrew Bible and English language as well. You know, you have the word wind and wind spelled the same way, pronounced differently, in fact, you know, but there, there's so many words we have that, are, that have, have the same letters but have different meanings. You know, the bank of a river and the bank where you, you bring your money and, and things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's from a different root is the long and short of it. Uh, but, okay. it, it, yeah, that, that's all. So it, it, doesn't okay. mean how, but, it doesn't mean howling one. It means shining one. Okay. But if in the follow-up real quick, people who say Lucifer is a fallen angel, yeah. I don't see where El means God in the Hillel. No, Hillel is, it, it does not have El in it, does not have God in that right. at all. Right. Right. But that's, yeah, that's unrelated to the fallen angel question. The fallen angel question comes from, is that what we deduce from Isaiah 14? Is that what we deduce from Ezekiel 28? Is that what we deduce from Job 1 and 2? Is that what we deduce from Revelation 12? That's where that question would come from. But we are out of time. At least we got the question. And hey, I'm just looking at our screen here, as is Rachel. And uh, if you've been holding and we just didn't get to you, you call in tomorrow's show and we'll do our best to, to bump you up on our list. All right, friends, great talking with you. Let's be praying for this Sabbath, Shabbat Shuvah, for the turning of many hearts to the Messiah. God bless.